right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network. Welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and you are here with Andrea Vitimus. The Andrea Vitimus, if we use the Ohio State uh, title, so the Andrea Vitimus, and Jason M. Colwell. How are you doing? The, the, the Jason, Jason M. Colwell. Colwell. That's right. The. So, just how deep does your rabbit hole go? That can go so many wrong directions. That I don't even know where to start with that tonight, so I'm just going to get that. It's just, you know, I was listening to the in- intro for the umpteenth thousandth time, and anyway. Well, I should probably make a new intro. That probably would be a good idea. Now, I'm going to apologize in advance because I really wanted to be able to screen the chat room tonight and get some questions about things we're going to talk about, and for some reason... When I change my screen name, I get completely locked out of chat. Go figure. What was your What was your uh, screen name? I'm in the chat room right now. Maybe I can. Well, I tried to sign in under Jason DDTRH, and all of a sudden, I can't log in at all. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. Okay. I'm just happy if we Skype's now working right. And... So it's just to us tonight, you know, members of the Quantum Life Science Institute, and actually I think we're actually talking about a topic tonight that I, I think people who make money on metaphysics and the occultism don't really want anyone to talk about. But uh, you make money on metaphysics and occultism, so... Yeah, but I don't really make that much. I have a day job. <laughs> And I'm I know, i got to give you crap, though. No, I'm honest about it. I don't really... Um, usually when people come to me, especially like out of a couple cities that I have good relations with people in those cities, like Chicago and some of the other places, they come to me because they need stuff done. And, and the amount I charge for stuff is kind of crazy because uh, I'm just trying to trying to be fair about it, but it's usually a lot of work. And that's yeah. That's that's a mistake on my part, really. Um, but yeah, the amount I charge for teaching is not nearly as some of the levels that I've seen uh, people charge for 
really kind of not that much information, honestly. Well, true. I've seen $1,000 Reiki attunements that had absolutely no training involved. Just come and pay your money and get attuned. Right, right. And you've seen me do attunements that were at least a little more than the $50 show up. And we stood there for two days doing energy work until I was sure everyone had the foundations of how to use the Reiki correctly so that way they could go out and do stuff with it. Yeah. Do you understand this? No, no, no. Do you really understand this? Yeah, like, do the Reiki on me. No, let's do it again. Do the Reiki on me. Let's try it again. You know. You're getting there. Kind of like, that's that's a different level of, of lecture. That's a different level of workshop. Um, which underscores kind of like what we're going to talk about today, which is, Jason? The oh, we're going to talk about the deeper down the rabbit hole 30-day evocational challenge, and we're also going to talk the, about the importance of regular practice and the keeping of magical journals. Yeah, and more, probably as we're just going through the show. So We'll probably rant about a few things, too, because neither one of us is very happy with all the general tone of society right now. No, no, and um... No. And uh, there's a lot of reasons and that we might have problems with the some facets of the culture, but we're going to go specifically today about um, this idea of doing the work. This is the idea that, uh, you know what, the truth is it doesn't really matter who your teachers are in some cases. They're facilitating your work as essentially you <laughs> doing the work if you're not doing the work you can have the most greatest llama teacher ever and it doesn't matter because there's nothing going on it's it's too much of the a culture right now is about merit badges uh you know and really that's not what it's about it's about work you know, and, and it's not about any work. It's about the great work, which is your life. You know, it, it's not about how great and cosmically, you know, powerful you are to make all these boasts that no one cares about. It's, you know, are you better than you were yesterday? Are you improving yourself? Is things getting easier? I mean, not easier, you know, but you know what I mean. Well, no. Well, actually, no. I, I would argue with you there. I think that things should get easier. I'm not sure that things ever get easier, because as you get better, um, new challenges the, come. The challenges get harder. <laughs> it's kind of like this: the class that I'm taking on gamification. As you get further along the game, the game gets harder and harder and harder. Gamification is that when you become the Incredible Hulk. No, gamification, not gamification. Oh, game. <laughs> Should I just bust out? Do you know that, like, I work in a place that I could possibly get exposed to gamma rays and become an incredible Hulk? Dude, I've seen, you, I've seen you mad. You are the Incredible Hulk. I am not the Incredible Hulk. It takes an unbelievable amount of, like, stuff to make me angry. It's not like Bruce... Well, no, okay, Bruce Banner took a lot to get angry, too. But, anyway. Well, let, let's let's poke, poke and pick at you. 
So you came up with this idea of your own accord, the the deeper down the rabbit hole, thirty day vacational challenge. Now, what provoked that? It's not really. Uh, well, it wasn't really associated with the show. It was more um, associated with my website, AndreaVenomous.com. And it's very simple. I had decided for myself that I was going, and I've done this numerous times. You know, this is not too far different from what's called a chaos monasticism, which uh, Peter Carroll originally came up with the idea. Other people came up with the idea. It's a monastic set where you put yourself into monastic practices every day, you know, for a set period of time to get a greater benefit from that practice. I had made the decision that I was going to do a 30-day essentially chaos monasticism with Ra, which, you know, as we talked about before the show, why uh, that's ironic that I would do a chaos monasticism with a force of order. But and, um, and that was based off of the experience that I had at Convocations in 2013 that where we did the Ra set ritual. Um, and then a funny thing happened. I had some dreams where... I was at a crossroads, and that's where I often sit in dreams, and anyone who knows me will know why. Uh, I would be sitting at a crossroads at night with an old black man, if you can't figure it out, spend some time with me. <laughs> you know, so I'm sitting there with an old black man with a straw hat at the crossroads, and uh, other people are kind of hanging out at the crossroads and, uh, you know, the old black man whose leg was says, hey, well, I know you're going to do this work. Why don't you let other people do this work too? Literally. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, why don't you tell other people to do the same work? You Not know necessarily that with raw, but... Right, but you know that has a lot of weight to it. Let's okay. I know every everything's BS, right? But let's just say for a moment, you're in an actual spirit communication with Papa Legba. Oh, it happens sometimes. Now, now, if 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 he's the spirit of Legba saying this, that means it's not just hey, let's share the wealth. It's I'm going to open doors for people, or the process will open doors with people. And it's just an opportunity for them to open the doors that are already in front of them. That's well, I'm gonna, case. I'm gonna kind of hype it up and say I think if people participate in this and they're dedicated to it, they're gonna find opportunities. Well, the thing about that is I'm throwing a T-shirt in there. If you do the work for 30 days consecutively, starting at the date that you feel comfortable with, you get a hands-on chaos magic T-shirt. And if you come to Cleveland, I'll take you out to dinner. That's a big reward. He knows some cool places. Well, I didn't necessarily say it would take people out to a $50 a plate dinner, you know. It might be Happy Dog, which is still pretty good. Hey, I said you know cool places, and it's expensive. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? <clears throat> now, I want you to explain this, because you've explained this to me multiple times. But I think this is good to let the people out there know what your theory is behind why... 30 days consecutive of any ritual is a powerful practice. Well, it generally takes about 30 days 
for neural pathways to fully develop. So in 30 days time, you'd have fully developed neural pathways, which allow for a more powerful expression, whether or not um, we can argue whether or not spirits are real. And of course, we can argue whether or not this energy is real. But the fact is that to actually master a technique or get it internalized enough that it can have meaningful results means that the neural pathways have to be open first. That's just a consequence of our brain structure. Otherwise, you could get beginner's luck, but really, to really make contact or stuff, those neural pathways to whatever we're communicating have to be open. Um, in addition, that's why I posited, and we're going to do this over the summer if we possibly can do it, that if you do this for 30 days uh, with, say, a goetic spirit or, or or some other spirit that you would summon in a triangle that you could possibly get a physical manifestation of some sort, but you have to dedicatedly do it. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when you do this 30-day work, people get bored of it and they kind of half-ass, oops, sorry, um, but they kind of halfway do the ritual after the first times. It's literally, you have to go, you have to go as hard as you can every single time out of the gate to get this benefit. Otherwise, it's just, you learn to kind of not necessarily, your subconscious mind isn't learning to strengthen those neural pathways. You're not really, you know, learning what needs to be put into the meta idea of when you're doing the ritual. It's like you have to go at it hard for 30 days. And that's what the 30-day... Um, the 30-day challenge is about. That's why I'm putting up a t-shirt. Most people can't do this. It's not that they can't. They won't. You well, know? and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and give everybody a little bit of a hint, too. Okay, there's a lot of things that you do, repetitious things in your life that become old hat. You do them without even thinking about them. This is different. When he's stressing the idea of with intensity, it's not just the physical actions of say, okay, let's say you're doing the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram every day. Some people, the ritual actually get weaker because they just go through the motions time and time again to the point that yeah, they do it mindlessly. I've certainly seen that. And that's not, yes. with, that's not with intention. Your intention is not matching your actions anymore. And you're actually, what you actually train yourself at that point is that that ritual is meaningless. That's what your subconscious gets. And that's what your subconscious does is what the energy does. So if that's what you really start believing that it's just a meaningless ritual, that's what you get. Now, every time I do a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, I assume the angels are absolutely real and they're going to show up and I never know what they're going to tell me. It may be a mental trick, but that assumption makes it, well, you've seen my lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. I might screw up the Hebrew sometimes, but it feels like there's presences in the room. Well, okay, now here's the funny thing about screwing it up or not doing it exact because you stumbled while you're doing the ritual. Intention, okay, I'm not going to say intention is everything. Maybe that's taking it too far. 
Well, some but people would take it that far, certainly. Intention trumps most. It's the idea of, yeah, maybe certain correspondences could trump your intention under certain circumstances, maybe. But we'll go as far as to say that if, the, if you do it with intent and emotion, and I stress emotion, you get where you're going even if you stumble. Most yeah, of the time. I might disagree with the emotion comment and just say state of mind because it's the intensity of state of mind because some things would be hard, some states of consciousness would be hard to classify in emotional terms, especially if you're working clopothic, if you're working, actually even the Reiki attunements that we've done, it would be hard to put an emotional on that, but there's certainly a state of mind that comes to it. It just doesn't have an easy emotional translation. True. I would say that in my experience, and your mileage may vary, uh, Reiki is usually a very neutral state of mind. Well, no, there is one there. It just doesn't necessarily correspond to an exact emotion. Likewise, some alien emotions might not correspond exactly to an emotional state that we can verbalize. Even the Gnostic voodoo type of stuff, and even a lot of spiritual experiences don't quite fit into an emotion, but I would agree with the idea that it's an extreme state of consciousness. Like, what that state is, we might have to talk around because we don't have the verbal language to actually uh, reach in, and we, re we reach the limits of language. Uh, as opposed to being able to easily say it's this emotion. Well, and it's easy to throw around the term gnosis, but I guess I'd put it like state of focused concentration, which in and of itself tends to lead to a trance state of sorts. Right. Well, that's absolutely true. And uh, the idea to go back to the 30-day challenge, though, you know, the idea is, is pretty simple. Um, one ritual isn't enough to learn technique, right? Usually not. It usually takes a few to get even get the technique down. So you can't really throw that much intensity at a ritual until you get your own technique down. Even if you're inventing your own technique, you have to get it down first. Sometimes it's... Yeah, it's, it, and it, even if you're following, say, a ritual out of a book, sometimes you have to practice it just to understand what certain motions and certain actions really mean. Well, I mean, if it's not internalized, I don't really think... I mean, I know this is not the common idea, but I really don't think if it's not internalized that you can get results. This is why people study all the time. They don't actually, a lot of people don't actually take the extra step to, let's do this ritual for 30 days. But um, the truth is, is that your internal, it has to be internalized. And the better those rituals and techniques are internalized, the easier you can use them in an actual ritual. You know, I'll even drop a little teaser. We've talked about this on the show before. The whole idea that if you practice certain rituals, 
numerous times you get to a point where you can do astral magic which is just sitting in your chair in a state of meditation and going through the ritual in your head and it's just as effective I, I read something really interesting next week's guest she speaks of the idea of you're focusing on a ritual and its physical actions so that you're simultaneously doing it astrally yeah I mean that is probably one of the ideas of all ceremonial magic and uh, really that's what is actually going on but it doesn't happen unless you've internalized it right there's not an echo on the astral plane unless your intention is matching your physical actions which is matching your uh, vocality and there's a congruency of all aspects of ritual if you don't do that, it's kind of like you're just putting on a performance. It's not a ritual, which can be oftentimes can evoke a state in the the audience. But it isn't necessarily where you're echoing on the astral plane. Anything with enough intention, enough uh, force of will behind it will echo on the astral plane. This is why if you actually study, I believe, why you actually study, you know, some some successful business people, they're doing magic a lot of the time, but they're so sure of themselves that the magic, that things just turn out their way. Okay, so I think that when you're saying that, are you pointing toward willed intention, like... I'm going to make this move and it's going to work and try to be a little bit more specific about how business people use this. It's not all business people, but there are certain people who naturally can do this, right? Uh, they will decide they're going to do something and they let nothing else get in the way of them doing it. Even if failure comes up, they don't let anything get in the way of doing it. And then it may not be that everything turns out their way right away, but then good luck just kind of falls them falls in their way after they do not let anything get in the way and, and believe it or not this is studied in hermeticism in various occult circles right you know banish things you don't want attract what you do want move towards a goal uh i mean occultism in itself isn't that hard and the underpinnings of metaphysics have different structures based on the culture but it's it's not any longer they are doing a willed intention and synchronicity the universe is just backing up their willed intention the universe probably has a sense of humor if you want to take it that way throw some obstacles in their way to basically make sure they're serious but once they're it's pretty clear to everything as in probably everything within themselves oh jason everything okay there that was my chair creaking man oh okay the <laughs> microphone is sensitive. But once, once they're there, right, they're, they, they have the force of intention, bam, and they just keep through and going, following an exact plan. Um, you can really look at those people and what they do and some of the stuff when they talk about it and how they integrate magic into their daily lives. Uh, and they even have little confidence boosting rituals they wouldn't call it that but it's there you know it's not that they're perfect it's not like um 
they perfectly can manifest everything, but they have little techniques that they use to kind of force their will upon the universe. It's no different than a magician who gets better and better and better. We just are studying the mechanisms. So when you talk about <clears throat> learning technique and repetition, internalizing, where does this leave the folks that go out and buy the random one billion herbal spells for the nocturnal bipolar witch? And... You're going to get me in trouble. Why don't you answer that and get yourself in trouble, Jason? <laughs> Hey, I look at it like, and, and feel free to chime in here, but formulas are okay if you have the techniques to back them up. You can't just crack open a book and, you know, mix a little nutmeg with a little cinnamon and put it in a sock and throw it in the river and think something's going to happen unless you have very focused intent, at minimum. Well... I mean, this was one of the things that I kind of experimented and was suggesting in Hands on Chaos Magic, that the materials do matter, but not in and of themselves. Like, all the materials have different vibrations, and so you can use those materials to hold vibrations easier, and that lets you up the amperage or the power that you put into a ritual. Unfortunately, although I, I love a lot of the books that are out there I have a huge library but unfortunately spellbooks don't often cover these kind of fundamentals for a lot of reasons it's not popular when you have to say you have to do work you have to do meditate I, I mean I'm not Jason Miller recently posted a blog how people criticized him for being so heavy on meditation I would argue hands on chaos magic probably is more heavy on meditation than even Jason Miller's book you know, it's all this, well, why do you need to meditate? I just want to do magic. And it's kind of like, we have to understand that there's all these steps before you get to the point that the quality of the herbs will matter or the quality of the oils will matter. And that's all intention training, focus, and what is basically stilling your mind cleaning out the stuff this is something that when we go back to the businessman example and other people they do very well they clear out what is unnecessary garbage from their minds their thinking patterns to go for their goal exactly you know they just have little things they do various things when you actually talk to them that they do that we can use neuro-linguistic programming hypnosis we can do ritual magic to basically do the same thing to clean out all that garbage inside our mind so it's absolute focus um, this kind of prerequisite steps is, is actually probably one of the reasons why I wrote Hands on Chaos Magic in the first place because I wasn't seeing it in a lot of the books I was reading and uh, that annoyed me <laughs> well now let's let's take a trip down memory lane with Andrea Vitimus tonight okay because a lot of what you've trained yourself in over the years, at least at first, wasn't it kind of self, self-taught, self-sought after? Um, at first, I was very left-hand path, yeah. But um, with so much fluff out there, how did your magical journey, how did you find out that you had to get that singularity of focus 
and even get to the point where you could write hands-on chaos magic as a magical primer. Well, you know, I failed at writing hands-on chaos magic once, and given the rate at which I'm writing the next book, it, you know, <laughs> I might have a similar rate of success for the next book, right? Um, and um, it didn't really get to a point. First, fortunately, I did not, well, as we've talked on the show, I did not have an easy road. Uh, I mean, I essentially had to deal with negative entropic forces pretty early on in what seemed like a shamanic initiation and uh, not a neo-shamanic initiation, but I, I could have died. I could have went insane. Um, there was a lot of consequences of what happened. So I had to learn how to like deal with stuff. And I already had a background in psychology that wasn't working. So I couldn't just pawn it off on it's all in my head because those techniques weren't working. So I had to dive in and really kind of figure it out. And when I did, every step of the way, things would get a little better. As in, as I would get better and better and better, um... Better at some basic energy work, better at banishing with intention. You know, there came a point where there was there was a clear point at which things were getting better. And I'd already met a couple uh, magicians. And uh, at first, these magicians had, you know, I won't name names. They, they you know, I was, they'd seen what I could do. And then all of a sudden they came to my house and these things, and they felt presence in my house. And um, they saw me whip, come out and just so forcefully banish that it shook their, their psychic senses and vibrated the spirit till it was completely gone. Not just, you know, not just like it ran out the door. It was gone, right? Why? Because I needed to. And that's exactly a lot of times like I had luck in that case that I needed to know that at the time. So it, it helped me. But oftentimes that's how it works with shamanic stuff. That's not necessarily neo-shamanic stuff, but, you know, well, you know and magician I'll, I'll, stuff. I'll... I'll... I don't think you'll mind me adding a little bit of detail to that particular situation, will you? No, I don't know. As far as I didn't know what you were up against. and Well, I mean, you've told me the story. You know, shadow entity, sort of light. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were demons, but that's okay. Well, let's just say, you know, it, 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 like you explained it to me, it was a shadowy thing. What can I fight a shadow with? Light. Yeah. Wasn't that the mindset? That, is, and, that was my mindset. And what really, you know, was that just random luck, I guess? You thought about it and came up with a solution and just tried it? Well, Dumb I, luck? No. I had reiterated. I, I had been iterating different solutions and reading different uh, books at that point for a while. Okay. Right? But the difference here is that I wasn't just reading it. I had a specific... Uh, goal, right? I, I had, for a few years, had these problems with these 
type of entities bugging me. And I was getting progressively better and better and better at dismissing them or getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what I was dealing with because at that point I wasn't quite so knowledgeable. Uh, I, I certainly didn't know that much ceremonial magic, you know. And, you know, the most sane book that I had at that point was Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine, which hopefully someday we can get him on the show, but... It just basically, like, made sense because I was a skeptic. I would rather disbelieve these things except people could actually feel their presences when they were around me or see the shadows move, which is pretty typical of, you know, those kind of initiations, which I, I don't regret it. I mean, I learned a lot in that time. Yeah, t- typical of initiation of that kind and typical of spirit attachment of many kinds. I certainly wouldn't have uh, willfully done that, so, right? Okay, so so we're going down a very interesting path now, okay? You, you were early in your career, and you had a problem, and you were studying material, but you weren't just studying it, you were trying it, trial and error, which comes to our other important point, the magical record. Yeah. If you weren't keeping track of what was working and what wasn't working, because now, let's be honest, did everything you try work? No. Okay. Uh, No, it did not. Uh, And nor would everything that uh, anyone does work all the time, no matter how good they are. Uh, Some things work better than others. Some techniques work better than others, and... Yeah, I had very diligent at that time records, and the, to really think about it, to iterate and go back to the books after trying stuff means you have to keep good records. Otherwise, from a sign and remember, I came come from a very scientific perspective. From a scientific perspective, you cannot do further experiments unless you've kept good records to start with. You don't have any data to go back and make adjustments now something I've found in the time that we've been working magic together see since hardcore ritual involves for the most part states of trance in some way shape or form a couple weeks after we do things I don't necessarily remember exactly what we did Because it's like a dream state. You go into it, you do it, you come out of it, and the conscious, everyday mind doesn't necessarily keep up on the details. I think that's another another reason to stress keeping records. Well, and that's part of the 30-day challenge, right? Part of the challenge was you couldn't just do the work, you had to document it for that reason. Because I think people would be shocked at what they discover when they start doing this 30-day process and what happens at the end, how different what they're posting actually is, or the record is. The record will reveal patterns that they weren't thinking about. I know some people think that a a magical uh, journal is kind of passe, but I disagree. It's not so much that you're looking at, you know, you're looking at effective rates, you're looking at, uh, what you are doing, you're looking at 
states of mind and you're looking at general trends of transformation that occur, especially when you use something like a chaos monasticism where you're doing 30 days of ritual, hard ritual work in a short period of time. It's kind of like preparing to run a marathon where you're training and you have to, you, there are going to be changes in that short period of time. You know, I, I had a humorous memory of years ago before I ever did any occult practice. I was, I was dating a young woman who uh, we were visiting her mother, and her mother was a practicing witch of some type. So I'm looking at her mom's bookshelf, and I see like the big leather bound, and it it got a big pentacle on the front cover, and it says Book of Shadows, and of course, you know, this is around the time of Charmed. I pull that book out and I flip it open and it's blank. And I go, I thought there was supposed to be stuff in here. I don't get this. And they go, well, no, you, you put things in it. <laughs> it was a journal, you know. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, people if think. If anyone that wants to give me a nice, bold leather, like, handcrafted journal, I'll gladly fill it. Well, that's that's probably the other funny thing that she had this huge leather-bound book that was completely empty, but <laughs> but but that's the point. I mean, if that makes you feel more magical to go get the fancy book, you know, I'm perfectly fine with the three-ring binder, and and I know, you know, I'm I'm going to give away a little bit of an Andrea Venomous secret. He has journals all over the freaking place. Yeah, but I hate that. I totally hate that. I'm so bad about that. Like, I will write in one journal, go out and get another journal, and then, like, forget where I put the first journal. This is why I started doing everything on the web. That's why the 30-day challenge is digital. So I don't do that to myself and just, like, swear up and down as I'm running up down the stairs trying to find one journal where I put stuff. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, but I'd also say to to your credit, I think that several of your little books laying around, it's almost like you've started five potential future books, and it's like, you know, you come back to one, you add a little bit more, and so, someday, someday the info's going to be there. Well, yes, well, there's that. Someday. <laughs> As far as Lyndon's comment, isn't it easier to change the subject matter literacy you personally? Absolutely. And that is why this repetition and neural pathway stuff comes into play. Because if you, yes, you're going to work against yourself, but as the repetition gets to the point of really empowering your work with, say, in the 30-day challenge, a spirit, the, what the effect is, is that you come to believe that it's inevitable. It's a different way of doing uh, magic than the detachment perspective, is to come to the conclusion that the result is inevitable. Uh, that, that is another way to do it. It is detached in a way because you're not personally worried about whether or not it's going to work or not. You have 100% internal and 
confidence that it's going it's going to happen. Um, so you don't need to think about it anymore. You don't need to go back and uh, did I do that ritual right? You know, you don't do that. And that's actually a lot of the time as you get better and better at magic, you can come to every ritual. Well, you know, mindset. and I do. You've seen me do that step to the point where I will hesitate for too long to do magic on a topic. But when I actually step down to the plate, it's kind of like I've already known it's going to succeed. Yes. I also think there's a fine line. I mean, I know that as magicians, we try to strive to stay away from lust of a result, which can actually impede your magic after the fact. But sometimes when you really want something bad or need something bad, it adds fuel to the fire during the ritual. If once you do that ritual, you can let go. And well, man, I like swear. Story. Well, I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's a story that I've given numerous times in, pre, in, in my talks around the country, right? So, you know, this is kind of a dicey story. So please, no one get offended. It's supposed to be funny. If it's not, I apologize in advance. But, you know, there's a poor African-American family in the South. And there's a kid. He goes to church every week with his family and there's a drop going on and they go one week he says I don't want to go to church it's all BS and of course you know given how it is they basically beat him that's what happened in the south if you're you know refused to go to church they beat him pretty bad so next week comes by and says, I don't want to go to church. And they beat him. And they ask him, there's a drought going on. Don't you know we have to pray to the Lord to get the drought hand? And he asks his parents, where's your umbrella? And the idea of that story is, where's people's umbrella? Basically, if you've prayed, you should already expect the outcome. If you pray to end a drought, why, why don't you have an umbrella? Which is different than lust for a result because it's expect. Oh. <clears throat> Acting as if your request has already been answered as opposed to sitting there and lusting for the result. Right. Uh, one of the things that happens is one of the problems with res lust result is all the uncertainty and insecurity about what you're actually doing, magical operations, gets tied to the actual operation itself. So you go back and say, did I do this right? Why isn't it happening? All that doubt gets attached to the original intention. It confuses things and starts to tear apart the original working. And we all have it happen. Right? We go back in our mind and say, well, did I do that right? And the appropriate answer is, yes, I did. And move on in your thinking. Hey, along those lines, I'll say, folks, there is a book that I've come across in the past called Secrets of the Lost Mode of Prayer, 
yeah, it's not a great book, it's not a bad book, but it talks about this very concept, the idea of if you're going to pray to your higher power, you pray with a sense of gratitude, with full expectation the way you've already asked for has already been made to happen. I think, yeah, I mean, the desire of a result thing comes from Aleister Crowley, and Peter Carroll also covered it, uh, pretty extensively and the reason is that is it comes into play much more when you're first starting out because all of those doubts get into the magic later on you don't have as many doubts it's not so much that you you're yes you are detached but not in a way that you don't want the thing that you're talking about that that isn't it but you assume it's going to come. You're detached from the original working. If that makes sense. Yes. And that's only one pathway. Like, Hermeticism actually basically puts up a different idea where if you come to the conclusion it's inevitable, as I was saying, uh, as opposed to have no desired result you have an equally valid it actually helps so that pretty much doesn't go why we're doing the 30 day list that was an aside Jason the 30 day thing basically gives an opportunity for people to essentially see all this in practice uh, and you get a t-shirt and a meal out of it if you're in Cleveland. If you get a t-shirt out of it if you're wherever. Um, the idea, though, there comes from the idea of what we talked about earlier, the iteration. There's some things you cannot learn from books. You can only learn to see how the ritual actually affects you and then iterate from there. Oh, bravo. Well, it's true. I mean, okay, you can read about Let's just start out with, say, a simple breathing technique. You can read about it all day long until you actually try it. How do you know? Well, the thing is, you don't. It sounds good on paper, and some people might... Some people might, might work that way, and other people it might not... You know, some people might be able to use hyperventilation. Other people will have a panic attack when they use that breathing technique. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And truthfully, due to physical fitness issues, maybe not all techniques are healthy for all people. That's also the other thing that we really have to look at when we're talking about different techniques. Some techniques really shouldn't be done by some people because the technique themselves would be, they're physically not able to do it. And that's something that looking at the technique, you'd say, I can't do that. Like, well, it might be nice to, it might be nice to be able to do a sun ritual and be strung up for three days. Not everyone's going to have the physical capability to do that. That might be great gnosis. It'd be fa probably fantastic visions. Uh, but some people probably couldn't survive that. What is that, man? Is that kind of like uh, makeshift, makeshift crucifixion of sorts? You get tied up for three days straight. 
No, it's a Native American ceremony where, I mean, it's a real ceremony to induce well, visions. Yeah, I mean, I was talking more about what exactly was involved in the technique. Well, I, I'm not Native American that I know of. I might be. You could actually probably find out easier than me because you are Native American. <laughs> what I know about it is basically it's not very it's not done very often, but people are hung up in the sun so they can have visions from spirit. Okay. In a very ceremonial way, and um, it's very intense. But it wouldn't be for everyone, so those techniques might not work. Just like the techniques of angel magic might not be for some people might not be conducive. The, the angels might not resonate with them at all. It may not be a system of magic that they can work with because for some reason or another, it just doesn't seem to fit well with them. Likewise, you know, goetic work might not, like we had Stephanie on the show last week, uh, that work might work for some people, but other people, like, they just could not be around the energy. They couldn't make the connection and they wouldn't want to, the connection. Because they would either have some sort of adverse reaction, or they just couldn't work with it. Well, let, let's be honest. I mean, if you, if you have a lot of personal prejudice built up against something, you yeah, shouldn't be working with it. Well, it, you, it, you might be able to work with it. Just um, that—that's a different level of work than you know what you normally could connect with and work with. I mean, I. Uh, I hate to put it in such simple terms, but it, it seems like some things could potentially be dangerous simply because you have a prejudice. But now let's get around to something you're working on. You want to work with raw now. I don't want to work with raw. I am working with raw. <laughs> well, yeah, but that aside, you brought up earlier. Okay. Man, you're almost sometimes like a magical anarchist. Maybe that's too strong of a statement. I don't no, know. No, I certainly was that way for many years. I mean, I, I can probably say that's true. I mean, I was a chaos magician, you know, and I, I, I did all kinds of stuff. So Most of which you, I can talk on air, some of which I probably can't. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think we've all had somewhat of that kind of experience. But, man, okay, so Roz is very much a god of order. Yeah. I mean, isn't this a little scary for you? Yeah. Well, why don't you tell people why so they get an idea of what it's like to really challenge your own boundaries? Um, well, first, um... Probably a lot of the assumptions I had were, were wrong. Not all of the assumptions I had, but I'm not the same person. You know, I have memories of that person. And, you know, everything is its own opposite. So, sure, there was a time that I was doing guerrilla magic in nightclubs. It was fun. And would not work with very Jupiterian or king-like entities and you know now 
you know, it's a flaw in my personality. So it it shows a weakness. It shows an inflexibility uh, that I have to overcome. And it's been a weakness that was pointed out to me for a while. I just didn't do anything about it. Um, so I'm confronting an internal issue that limits my ability to create and manifest different realities for myself. And since I will not accept as a core tenant limitations in my own personality, I must perfect them or otherwise I should shut up and stop being a magician. Well, now have there been dangers in this work? Uh, maybe not physical danger, but let's say, okay, I know you've done some Jupiter work. I know you've been working on this raw stuff. Have, have deities like this asked things of you that were incredibly uncomfortable? Um, that is always a possibility, and that happens a lot. And that happens sometimes in Voodoo. So far, my Jupiter work hit a snag because I kept coming back to the raw work when I was doing the Jupiter work, which seems weird. But if you do the correspondences, even though if Ra is, is a solar entity, um, he literally is the sun. He has more correspondence than Jupiter. And there was... Um, there always is going to be things that may be asked of you. That's, it's not necessarily that they're asking you to do anything that's uncomfortable. It's they're presenting options in a different reality frame that are uncomfortable because you're not at the place where you can accept them. Have you been asked to give anything up? Well, if you are giving up ideas and you are giving up beliefs and you are giving up aspects that you considered yourself, you're still giving up things, right? This is and, true. And possibly those are the most painful things to have to give up. You're giving up what you consider to be you because it is in essence an illusion. And what you thought was you, you're being asked to move to something else. And a lot of times this kind of, even a 30-day work, is exactly what would happen. You'll be in the process asked to be move to something else so your concept of yourself expands but that limitation was a very comfortable limitation that was there for a while and that limitation is often very painful to give up because it takes away your self comfort now a little bit of baggage I carry from my Christian past I'm a little afraid of very keenly god of gods you know i'm a little afraid because there's something about that type of energy that says do what i tell you to do as opposed to what you personally want to do you know the sad thing was i think at convocation when we did the raw set ritual everyone was more scared of raw and they told me that than set when we actually did the invocations they were actually terrified of Ra even though I find Ra to be an awesome force and 
cool. They, a lot of people were actually terrified. They were not terrified of Set. Somebody told me they felt Raw was like a scolding father. Which didn't happen. <laughs> not literally. No. Not, not in action. But energetically. Maybe. No, but it didn't actually happen. Raw was actually very... I, there was parts I don't remember, but seemed very gracious. At least in that ritual. I mean, I could see where Amon Ra could call out segment, which would be very bad, but that's just beside the point. Well, the funny thing is, you know, I found the reaction funny because in action, the parts that I remember... Uh, Set, like, actually scolded some people verbally. Yes, Set did scold people verbally. And yet but people yet, were more scared of Ra. Right. Isn't that funny? And they were more scared of the vibration. Which goes along with what you were saying. I mean, it kind of goes to show you that's not a force everyone can work with. It's a force that for three years I've been putting off working with because it's not me. But when that comes up, that's your chance. That's everyone's chance to say what wasn't me now becomes me. I am more than I was yesterday and I'm on the path of purification. So is there anything you're willing to share that has really improved your life through this work? Yeah, I, I mean, I was pretty assertive, but I'm becoming much more assertive and a, ma and a better manager as a result of it. You know, I have to even say that just, you know, our friendship over the years, you're becoming much better at being direct, actually telling people what it is specifically that you want rather than hinting at it. Right, because I usually would walk the crossroads and kind of just take what I wanted. <laughs> As opposed to, you will. <laughs> Give me this. Well, no, not not no. I don't mean that you're that kind of a... Oh, I'll say it. Not that you're being an ass to people, but that, you know... Sometimes you were the kind of person who would drop hints. They'd be pretty clear hints, but you wouldn't necessarily spell out, hey guys, this is what I'm after. This is what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, that's not no more. <laughs> nope. It's gotten better. That's from your perspective. Other people would say it's gotten worse, right? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on the type of relationship, too. Yep. It's 8.59, so you know what that means? Holy... That means it's uh, thanks for everyone for coming this week. We'll be on the show next week with uh, Josephine, and I forgot her last name, but it, I love I love her book. So, ceremonial McCarthy. magic, McCarthy. It's sort of ceremonial magic with a very different twist. Yes. So we will take it take us on out, and we'll see you all next week.